Can you hear me push my glasses up? Sir, I believe in the industry, the accepted term for one GM, one player is duet play. And one person playing with himself is called solo play or mental masturbation. Yes, Jason, solo play is playing an adventure by yourself. And I guess I would call it more one-on-one -on -one play. So one GM, one player. And I ran two of those games. So the first one, I was scheduled to play a game of Jackals uh, sun last Sunday morning, the 9th of January, but only one player was able to make it. Just things happen, you know? And... Uh, I had promised this player that we we're going to always do something game related and play a game. So I, I gave some proposals. I said we could do like a Jackal's flashback. Um, but he said, oh, well, you probably don't have enough time to figure something out. There's, it's a bit more complex. Um, I said, well, what, what about like a more simple narrative game? And I gave him some um, options. And we decided on a game called Desanction. So I will talk about that. And then I will talk about, on Sunday, we were supposed to play a game of Deadlands, but uh, our friends were sick and could not make it. Uh, we didn't even have our Sunday dinner, so you can hear my cat in the background. Uh, I, th I discarded a box or something I unboxed recently, and the cat is just playing with it because cats love boxes. Um, you can hear him. Say hi. Say hi, Katen. His name is K10, it rhymes with Satan, but it's K-10, like uh, the mountain. He is a big Tom cat, uh, probably clocks in around uh, 18 pounds or so, but uh, yeah, he's a big one. So he's still in great shape, still can run really fast, doesn't, you know, not, it has, has he was big at one point because he was uh, caged at a vet's place, uh, discarded by his I guess former owners, he wasn't, maybe got too big, wasn't a kitten anymore, um, but uh, now he's ours. Anyway, the other game, <laughs> since the Deadlands didn't happen, uh, we, um, Amy and I decided to do a one-on-one -on -one game. She had bought me this game called The Lost Colony, which is like Deadlands in the far future on an isolated uh, solar system, and uh, so players are you know, so the same companies and things from as if Deadlands verse advanced into the, I would say, uh, 24th century, maybe. I'm not going to look it up right now, but it is kind of like Western space cow, uh, Western sci-fi. Um, literally, there is an alien species on this planet, Banshee, that they're stuck in the solar system. There is an asteroid belt that has, you know, you can go mine ghost rock. Um, and you have automatic weapons and space ships and, um, yeah, it was, it was fun to do a one-on-one -on -one adventure. Amy chose two characters and, uh, we, you know, one, her main, and then the second one, a sidekick buddy, and we played through an adventure and it was pretty cool. So, um, yeah, I'll talk about that. So there we go. Solo adventures. Sorry.
one-on-one -on -one adventures and how fun they can be with your friend um, or spouse, in my case, to, uh, to run a game as a backup. And I think I'm going to try to do more of that, just have things ready uh, to go uh, for the next time in these types of situations. And it looks like for both of these games, we could continue if the, other, the, the main game doesn't make, which I think is always a great thing to do. Yo, Carl, so personally, I would much, much, much rather have an urban adventure than a dungeon crawl. I just personally find dungeon crawls to be really tedious after a while, uh, whether I'm playing them or running them. I Yeah, I'm just not a big fan of huge dungeon crawls. So, you know, but that's just a personal opinion, and I guess it comes down to what people are expecting for the games. But, you know, for me... Urban, urban adventures all day, every day. Anyway, man, have a good one. Peace out. Oh, did I mention I had call-ins as well? That was Joe Richter, and he is calling in response to the Papers and Paychecks episode where we talk about doing things in town. And, yeah, I think I think my favorite type of adventure is, like, the wilderness hex crawl, honestly. I really enjoy that because you it can morph into a lot of things. It can, you know, you ply around the wilderness, you explore, uh, you might find a dungeon, you might find a town or village. It could have an adventure or not in there. Um, but I do, I do like the intrigue of urban adventures, and I would really love to get BX, the um, Lords of Akras, back up again. Well, we had like the uh, um, Tanithil's Terrors as a faction. The players were part of that. And they were like, a, I would say, a group of urban troubleshooters, mercenaries. And I had a lot of factions, a la Gangs of New York or Gangs of San Francisco in this goblin-run-led uh, city of Akras, um, which is uh, described very, very briefly in Gazetteer number 10, Orcs of Thar, published during the Beckme uh, time frame by TSR. And I, the domain play and the faction play was so cool. I think the players loved um, plying factions against each other, doing clandestine missions against one faction, totally taking out a faction or two, making alliances with another faction. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of cool. And, and we had names for the factions and how the players' reactions could be modified up and down by their, you know, their interaction with the re with the factions. There, there are some cool names. There were like um, the Frogamoths, I think, were like the the guild of fishermen and uh, folk who lived along the river. And there were a lot of kobolds and lizard folk and troglodytes, um, which was kind of neat. With a smattering of other, you know. People just ended up there along the river. And then we had uh, uh, another faction of gnolls. I know we had a faction of, of kind of drug dealers, like opioid den runners. Um, 
uh, we had a faction that was like a military, the military, like the military secret society. Um, so uh, it was cool. It was, it was really fun. And uh, at by the, when we stopped, they were going to do a mission uh, for the queen because they had gained her notice, which is may or may not be a good thing. And they were in the middle of that. And they were investing or improving a keep, the shell of a keep, and they were going to try to make improvements on it um, as, as they took over. It was a base for a former, um, for another faction that they um, broke up and are now taking over their old place. So, yeah, I like that kind of stories you can create in an urban adventure and setting. Um, so that is also very fun. And, hey, you know, there's always a, like in, if we played in the Forgotten Realms, we played Urban Adventures in Waterdeep. I did this back in 1E slash 2E days. They can just jump in the hole and go to the dungeon of Undermountain, right? So, um, and then there, spoiler, there are two cities in that area. There is Skullport, which is down below, and I had players hanging out there in Waterdeep, a city above. So um, that's actually a pretty, pretty cool place to play into. Yeah, I guess I agree with you. And it sounds like I'm arguing to myself that the urban adventures are hella fun. So the next caller is a new caller. I think it's the first time caller to the show. Menyon, a.k.a. Rob of Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushi. Hey, Carl. This is Menyon, also known as Rob. So I really appreciate the uh, Twilight 2000 recaps. Really interesting. It's not a game I've ever played, but I hope to sometime. Uh, as for Die Hard, I totally agree with our Dr. Love. Yeah, it's a Christmas movie. I think uh, as for you know, the religious thing, or who knows. But I, I think Jason's uh, Jason's Irish background sort of trumps everything else. So, you know, regardless of this or that, he's allowed to drink beer. Uh, uh, finally, as for ma Masons and the Masonic temples, this is still something that goes on today, uh, at least in the UK. So there are several temples, well, many temples, I don't know how many, maybe one in every major city um, or more, scattered around the UK, and uh, they're still fairly secretive, although they have opened their doors a few times. Uh, how close they are to the original kind of uh, things, I don't know. Anyway, cheers. Okay, here's my Masonic temple story. In the city I live in, there is a Masonic temple, and I used to be part of this church slash cult that did not have their own place. And we rented out the Masonic temple uh, maybe about a year, year and a half. I guess they saw that we had a lot of people coming and wanted more money or I, I don't know the nuance of why we left. Maybe it could be like a dis difference in philosophy between what the church I was, church slash cult I belong to and the Masonic temple. But uh, I was like an usher and I helped set up part of the service. And, you know, before the service, we could walk around and there some strange nooks and crannies and literally secret doors in this temple. Um, and yeah, it was kind of cool, kind of freaky, but um, they do still exist. They do still exist. So uh, interestingly, this I think this diehard debate is going to keep going and going. And uh, Jason Connerly sort of responds to Joe Richter but I guess um, Menyon, a.k.a. Rob, is uh, stoking the fire, adding fuel to it. 
Hmm. And for sure, we're really enjoying our T2K game. Uh, thank you for that encouragement. The players are definitely, they do listen and they're encouraged when people praise it or comment about it. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's getting very interesting. And I guess it's kind of, it's coupled with uh, Joe's comment on Urban Adventures. There are different factions within the city that are vying for power. And that's what makes it interesting. It's not just, you know, we're going to crawl into a dungeon and find the MacGuffin and pull out the treasure. It's we're going to do something to affect and change our area. And maybe that's why urban adventures are so cool, because you can affect your borough, your block, your city um, in kind of neat ways. And I think that's the plans that some of the players have is to influence and affect their environment and uh, not just clear out a ruin and find some old treasure, which is I think is fun. Don't get me wrong, but it's a different play style and players find that play style where they feel like they're getting shit done in their fiction very rewarding and i agree carry on my wayward son there'll be peace when you are done lay your weary head to rest don't you cry no more as far as this Christmas movie thing goes, I'd love to hear a sound clip where I said that I Heart is not a Christmas movie. I've always had it's a Christmas movie under the auspice it's set during Christmas. I disagree with Joe that it's about Christmas, but, you know, Joe's my friend, so it's okay to disagree on that. As far, far as Puritans establishing the United States, I think you have a lot of people in other parts of the the colonies that would vehemently disagree with that. So anyhow, talk to you later. So you're saying that Die Hard is not about Christmas and instead takes place during Christmas. And I think in your original posit and argument, you said movies that take place during Christmas are not really Christmas movies. At least that's what everyone heard. And I think that was, I think is my Merry Christmas episode potentially, or the one after. So I will have to track down that soundbite for you. I probably will not do that now. So, right, let's look at the various colonies and were they founded based on religion? I would say that the Northeast New England colonies, several of them were founded on escaping religious persecution. Uh, for example, the Plymouth colony, um, the and that was the Puritans, the Rhode Island colony, and um, Pennsylvania colony, which I believe were Quakers, potentially, and the Virginia colony, which I believe, which might have been Catholics, uh, although, you know, Roanoke and then Jamestown were colonized, I think, for more economic reasons and not escaping religious persecution, but that was definitely a draw. And as far as our, it'd be a debate for another time, but I would say our country was formed for economic freedom, not necessarily on and based on religion. 
Right. Um, they were departing what they felt was a lack of being able to control the trade goods that were coming into and especially being traded out from the colonies and were rebelling against uh, King George and the British monarchy. So, yeah, I guess you're. Uh, it'd be fun to debate that at some point, and maybe that's not the context of a gaming podcast, but hey, yeah. Um, okay, let's continue this discussion. Die Hard is not about Christmas. That is what Jason Connolly has said. So I guess there was a lull in receiving packages, and now I'm getting like one a day. So I got another package. This one is from Fun Again Games out of Indianapolis. It is a standard USPS box that is about six inches deep and it's about 18 by 18 square inches or so. And let's see what's in. Circus peanuts. Oh, hey, I think it's a replacement coffee. Yes, it is a replacement coffee for my Tales from the Loop box. That the other one was really damaged, which is really cool that they sent me a replacement. Uh, the box, I can tell you, is not damaged. This is a deluxe edition. Um, yeah, I'm going to open it and make sure it is a deluxe edition. But the box itself, the outer box is not damaged like the other one was really badly damaged. Uh, so this is pretty cool. And I definitely want to play this now that I feel I have a nice copy. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with the other copy though. I guess give it away, keep it. Um, hey, if anyone wants a Tales from the Loot board game with a damaged box, let me know. It's got the rule book, the tokens, the map. Um, Inside, and then we got the. Yep, it's the deluxe version with the painted minis, which is very cool, and all the different cards and then tokens, etc., etc. Very cool. Um, I like to get it to the table so then I can run the role playing game, right? That's kind of the main reason I would do this. This is the Tales from the Loot board game replacement. Yay! I don't know what it is about packages sent from Sweden, but I got this package and there's a huge hole in the side. And if you recall, like for the last shipment I got from Sweden, but I guess it was through a third party, but it was in Sweden originally and then sent to the US was damaged. Um, anyway, I'm gonna open this. There's this big hole in the side. Uh, and hopefully it's everything's okay. Uh, this is from Riot Mind, so I kind of have an idea what this might be. It's a Kickstarter fulfillment. Actually, it says on the side, set the hero set for a Kickstarter fulfillment from Riot Mind. Um, so here goes. I can't just pull everything out of the big hole on the side. I should take a picture of the hole, man. That's crazy. 
So let's see, it's got oh, quite a few things in here. There is a book, uh, adventure module. Um, wow, okay, yeah, I guess I did go all in on this one because I love the setting. Arlen Walker of Live from Pelham's Wasteland ran a game set in this world. This is the Truth Dang World. And, uh, yeah, um, well, things are, looks like they're, everything was wrapped for the most part, except for some of the adventures, but they don't look like water damaged or anything. So there's a, a book, Oathbreaker, yay. Um, hopefully it's better than fanfic. The Art of Truth Dang, so a little book with pieces of art, which we could show at the table, I'm imagining. There's a player folio, player folder which has, you know, room track levels. Oh, that's pretty good. I'll have to open that up, the player folio. It looks like there's some things that are cardstock. Um, I don't know if it says green. I think it's just cardstock pictures, more art. Um, there's a setting compendium, the hero companion, a set of adventures, uh, one adventure, two adventures, three sets of adventures, so worm tongue, Wild Heart, and the Tenets of Nid Prairie, and there's quite a, that's wrapped up, there's like a lot of adventures with folios, um, maybe I should open this up, and see how many actual adventures are there, it's like a, it's wrapped up, so these Worm Tongue is not wrapped up, uh, Wild Heart is a shrink wrap, but it's on an individual thing, it looks like a longer adventure. Um, not like a 30 little 30 pager module style, but the, so this one with the wrap, it has quite a few adventures here. I guess they did really well on the Kickstarter, right? Um, so, oh, there's one spells, prayers, spells, so sage spells, EL tradition prayers, winter weaver spells, uh, Tukalakiki prayers, Thuldum religion runes. Gurdbanis prayers and Hamingi's prayers. So I guess these are a lot of spells, book compendiums as opposed to like card things. And then um, Nid prayers. So there's a whole set of compilations on on these different prayers. Each has its own individual book. I guess it's better than making a big magic book. And you just give out to that particular player which ones you have. Um, another, okay, the screen it looks like. The Hero Companion and the Setting Companion that are separate. So I guess the Hero Companion is like the player's book, and the Setting Companion is the world book. But fortunately, it looks like nothing is damaged, or, you know, especially I would be concerned with like water damage. But the, man, this big hole in the side is hilarious. Uh, maybe I'll take a picture using a, a cover, a cover for the, the podcast. But uh, yeah, uh, pretty cool. I'm. I don't know. Let me see. You look at the. I'm trying to open the screen. Use my trusty anvil. Okay. Anvil gets a little rep there. Um, the screen is a nice hard stock. The back cover is a, a scene of some adventures, um, walking and stalking, and then it uh, looks like a dragon in the foreground as well. They're probably gonna die. And then. There looks like a map, maybe, on the inside. Yes, it's a map of the Trudvang world. 
in the, as a fold-out. And then, what does it have? Screens are very interesting things. Um, uh, things about Into the Wild for exploration. So they're gonna have Into the Wild stuff like avalanches, hunting grounds, um, travel pace. Oh, that's great for 5e. This is the 5e version, by the way. I do have the True Zhang um, rule set as well. So I think I have like a copy of the rule set. I got it. They had it like they're having like a fire sale, and I got it all. And then um, yeah, oh, they have wound tracking, lingering wounds. So I guess they're gonna. It is 5e, but there's just a bit more grittiness potentially. Uh, how what happens during negotiations? Uh, Vinter, Vintner and negations, okay. Vintner and fear, levels of fear, a surge of Vintner, like what happens. God, wrath of the gods, different names, troll names, true but dying names. Uh, it might be helpful to have this kind of screen as well as maybe a 5e screen and um, kind of have comprehensive things that would be important in a true dang a game. Um, so I'm opening up the True Gang Hero Companion. All, all these, a lot of these things were shrink-wrapped, which I guess is good and protected them from um, water or moisture. Uh, yeah, so uh, this book is, is Introduction, Creating a Character, Ancestries and King, Cultures, Archetypes, Character Options, Equipment, Adventuring, Damage and Fear, and then Prayers and Spells in the Hero Companion. And... Right, so I do like uh, the different archetypes and subtypes, ancestries, cultures, uh, all the different options. So, cool. So I guess the different archetypes and subtypes, Dimwalker, Dweller, Mistbender, Ranger, Rogue, Bitsinner, Weaver, and Warrior. Adventuring into the wild, I have a whole section on exploration and into the wild, and then combat rules. I think, um, yeah. Uh, there's wound threshold, wound track. So I guess you have both hit points and wounds, which is kind of neat. And then fear and madness, and then con different conditions that they have. And then a bunch of spells. So looking forward to like reading through this and seeing um, how different it is than your standard 5e. It's a lot of books. So I mean, I, like I said, I went all in. Um, so I'm doing the shrink wrap off the setting. And I think the setting is. Hopefully, like a gazetteer, and I know I have this kind of information already, um, and I have some world-specific books. I know I did a Kickstarter on like dwarven lore and dwarf-specific stuff, uh, but this is like intro, uh, the true bang, true bang in the world, uh, the peoples, adventuring, um, between adventures. I love it. So at the market, crafting, research, training, and then a bestiary. So um, cool stuff so I probably like in each individual adventure they'll have they'll have like a bestiary here looks like a smaller bestiary but then in each adventure I'm sure that they're gonna have um, have things other monsters and the like so pretty cool yep it's like a two-page OGL by the way like a nice so I'm pretty happy about it I'm very happy that nothing was damaged but that is my True Bang Adventure unboxing. What? Three unboxings in one episode. I got another box. It is heavy. It is, again, from Fun Again Games. 
out of Indianapolis, Indiana. It is thinner. It is about four inches. And then this kind of square, um, let's say 14 inches. Yeah, about 14 inches square. And uh, yeah, let's see what's inside. I know unboxings are boring, especially this part. What's fun, it's fun finding the GC Center within. Jason, they got circus peanuts in here. Well, you know, you know what I mean. They taste like circus peanuts, so trust me. Um, I see something I pull out. Dice. It says Octun Cthulhu. Blower Crystal role-playing dice set. It is a set of dice. This is my Octun Cthulhu order from Modiphius Player's Guide, Game Master's Toolkit, and Game Master's Guide. I love how they have, like, look like a comic book or an old, you know, serial issue one, two, and three. I'm pretty excited about this. I definitely like to get this to the table. I've played it um, with, run by Kevin Madison, Dungeon Musings, I think he's running uh, an older adventure that was originally published for their Savage World, 6th edition Cthulhu, and 7th um, edition, I think they did a remake. And this is the 2D20 version. Of course, the production value is great. Um, the, the player's guide is going to have says your ultimate companion for battling the mythos and punching evil in the face. Yes, you get to punch a bunch of Nazis. Um, and who doesn't like that? So, uh, introduction, secret war, playing the game, action, how heroes are forged. Um, you could do different nationalities, it looks like, which is kind of neat. Um, there is definitely like a story path kind of character generation. Um, you probably don't have to develop your whole family and how many siblings you have and your rivalry or not with them. Um, but uh, it's probably pretty comprehensive. I believe that then you have talents, tools of the trade, vehicles, magic, the march of history, allied forces, and then your appendices. So they're British forces, U.S. forces, animals. So I guess they're going to have like, it's like a best mini bestiary. Um, so yeah, that's uh, pretty cool. Issue two is a game master's guide. And it says, command the forces of the Nazi occult and the malevolent menace of the mythos. I don't know if I'm thrilled about that uh, kind of tagline. But um, yes, it is. Uh, again, the layout and art is really neat. This one has introduction to secret war, secret weapons, magic and the mythos, the game master, um, how to run scenes, etc. Heroes and villains, uh, bestiaries in here, and then uh, index with appendices. So I do not, if I recall correctly, it does not have an adventure, but there are, I mean, I've, got, I've collected some adventures, including like the quick start. Um, uh, a, it's like a brief journey or brief sojourn, sojourn into France. So that was out for free RPG day. It does not look like it has a, a adventure in here, which is okay. That's issue number two, which is the Game Master's Guide. I think I have this like 
I have a lot of the PDFs for this. I have a physical copy of the Fate version of Octoon Kupilu. And I do have a World War, a World World of Flame, World of Flame. So I think it's a Cubicle 7 World War II, which is less pulpy, um, more grounded in your standard Call of Cthulhu. I think it was made for the 6th edition, not the newest version. So here is the, the screen and Game Master's kit. All these were shrink-wrapped internally as well, which is okay. Um, there is a booklet of it. Oh, I, you know, when you get these screens, you always have this one single sheet of paper that has like what the screen is, but then what the hell do you do with that single sheet of paper? Um, not a whole lot, honestly. You can't really put it back in the screen itself. Let me see if you can with this one. Oh, you can with this one. A lot of times you can't sometimes. Anyway, so there is the screen, and then the toolkit has craft memorable missions, create fiendish adversaries, deliver awesome campaigns, and rule worlds of pulp adventure. So it has how to a theater of operation. Oh, so you can be like a it looks like you can create a quick in adventure. And how to do that, I think it's kind of neat. And how to develop the plot for it. And that's what this is all about. It's a, about a 20 page thing. Even will have you roll randomly for so you could kind of do make an outline for an adventure, um, and then it has like a step by step guide to mission creation summary. I think that's really cool. So you can make the game your own. So that's the little booklet with issue two. So what does the screen look like? Okay, so it stands up eight and a half by eleven as opposed to a um, like the five E screens tend to be, and the Savage World screens tend to be like the more long than than tall but these are all more tall than long if that makes sense um, difficulty creatures weapon effects weapon quality is good uh, conflict momentum spend it is a 2d20 so you roll your 2d20 try to get a success generate momentum that's your meta currency um, i wonder where this will be i i think one of the best renditions or versions of this has been in my experience Mutant Chronicles, it seems to have that right amount of minutiae um, for doing cool things with your skills and your weapons, but not too much meta thinking, which I think the other extreme was Dune. I, in gameplay, I feel this was kind of in the middle of that, so kind of but closer to the narrative aspect of, say, um, Dune and John Carter of Mars than the... Uh, Gamist, uh, game is a gamist aspect that, that um, Infinity Conan and Mutant Chronicles had. So there you go. Actun Cthulhu. Go punch a Nazi. One of the games I ran one. V1, one player, one GM, was a game of Deadlands Lost Colony. I ran this with my wife, Amy, and she chose to play Carrie Martinez as a colonial ranger and Tony North, a former soldier. They're both novice characters, and she picked them from the archetypes that came with the box set. There are quite a few archetypes in there of both a human and alien Anuak 
type archetypes you could play. I was hoping that um, she would play like one human, one analog, but uh, she chose these two. So her main was Carrie Martinez, and Tony North was a sidekick. And I yes, I believe I did this for both of the games. I had them have a main, and then we created a sidekick as well, or used a sidekick as well. Um, so and then they, I, it was it just depended on the situation whether. I had the sidekick act or they asked the sidekick or suggested an action for the sidekick, which I thought was kind of cool. I like that. It gives me a bit more, I guess it gives the party a bit more staying power and firing power, which I thought was pretty cool. So they start in Widowmaker having just disembarked from a transport. They're hanging out in the only tavern in town. Um, which uh, I don't remember the name of, honestly. And suddenly a group of ne'er-do-wells kind of bust into the place. Uh, they recognize the leader as a person named Lilith. And she is also, her last name is, or she's a Lieutenant uh, Lopez. She is infamous for being part of the fallen angels who betrayed um, the military forces at some battle in the star belt and she has some of her crew with her um as the players assess who this person is and decide what to do a a marshal the marshal of the station comes in and uh says that they are under arrest or lilith is under arrest the marshal is interesting has a stun pistol and one arm so the players actually they do decide to help as the this lilith uh, person lieutenant lopez kind of doesn't really kind of dismisses the marshal and waves for her um, people to attack her the players act and uh, it's kind of a cool little fight uh, carrie is able to disarm uh, one of the people who has a, a submachine gun submachine guns so you can only carry a pistol on the station submachine guns and assault rifles are technically illegal so even though Tony North has an assault rifle on their archetype character, when he, as a law-abiding person, he actually would have turned his assault rifle into um, to the marshal. And so it's at the station. So he has a pistol you know, as a backup as well, which is kind of cool. So, um, yeah, that's, so it looks like, and also in the first round, it looks like uh, it, I kind of rolled for the marshal. The marshal actually took down Lilith with a stun pistol in the first round, and which was interesting. The guys, her crewmen, uh, got kind of more pissed off than running away. Uh, one was disarmed before one, the other two could take a shot with a shotgun. Actually, I think one, oh, Tony kind of shot one, took him down. One did get a shot off with a shotgun and hit um, the, the marshal and took uh, the marshal down. I believe, or injured the marshal pretty bad. I believe took, I think injured the marshal pretty badly, um, and then uh, Carrie and the uh, the, the other uh, pirate were kind of in a hand to hand knife fight. Uh, Carrie eventually beat him up, took him down, um, or I think either, either maybe stole the knife from him and stabbed him, or just pulled out her pistol and shot him. <laughs> that might have been what happened. Um, Anyway, so the, uh, 
and the guy was trying to stab uh, Carrie, but just was never could never get a good hit in. Terry uh, Carrie has a good uh, Perry uh, that rhymes, and uh, Tony took out the other the last person. Uh, those guys uh, died. Um, they helped. They kind of helped the marshal. Kind of treated the marshal. Made sure the marshal didn't uh, was stabilized. And uh, then they um, they helped carry the bodies and dragged Lilith uh, to the police station or the marshal station, where they threw uh, Lilith in the brig. There was another prisoner there, um, who was kind of a scientist type. The other prisoner is named only Friedman, and he is in the prison cell for oxygen tet unpaid. And he also has a bolo from a General Warfield and will be picked up when the general sends a boat out there to get them. Uh, meanwhile, Lilith taunts uh, the party. So taunts Carrie and Tony and um, the marshal. And uh, the marshal's name's Katie Winslow, by the way. And then um, says, I have a better offer for you. I'll pay you X amount, um, or I'll overlook your insult, and uh, yeah, won't kill you. Overlook this slight. You should just take off. And that's what Katie Winslow explains happened to the other deputies. They took off when they heard that Lilith was in town. This person is very is notorious apparently. Um, she is a uh, so the. Part she was part of the Psychic Legion's Killer Angels, I guess is a psyker, though did not use any psychic powers. Interestingly, and now, like I said, is a fallen angel. So uh, the first task that Winslow gives, she doesn't really deputize the party, but uh, sends them to go examine the ship. They go into the ship, and it's kind of creepy. Um, the Reeve, it's called, and it's dirty. It's cramped except for one room, which presumably it might be Lilith's room. There in the hold is some sort of morgue and a kind of an operating table with a lot of strange writings around it. It looks like a ritual table. Um, there's some artifacts from what are called the Black Cities down on Banshee. It's a strange place and very dirty. The players decide to, um, or the party, it's just one player, the party decides that they want to clean it up and do what they can. They don't recognize any of the the corpses there, but they, they kind of clean it up as, you know, and it's a work in progress. They decide, uh, they hear from Winslow that, or that Lilith has said that another ship is coming in to rescue her. So they decide to hold up in the, there in the, in the starport on the landing pad in, in the Reeve after they've cleaned up what they could. Um, so when they get word that the other ship is coming, they kind of want to break out, but they're attacked by some uh, black line freaks, which are guys who are high on the drug of the day, which is like snorted or injected a ghost rock. And they have black veins. And the battle, they kind of hold them off the battle. There's like a timer um, that they tell you that you have like X and that amount of time. Uh, rounds last a certain amount. We kind of calculated how long it was from the ship to where uh, the empty landing pad that the other ship that's coming in. So this was called this one was called the Reeve, like I said, 
and the ravage was flowing, flying in. So uh, it was surprisingly, well, um, Carrie was injured pretty badly, took two wounds, and um, had to use a Benny to shake off the effects. I, there was a weird misunderstanding. That's probably part of the problem maybe with 1v1 play is that uh, it's only you and the player. And if there's a misunderstanding with about the rules, it, it can become an argument. It wasn't really an argument. I definitely misunderstood Amy asking for just a Benny to unshake. Didn't want to worry about soaking the wounds, but I had a role to soak because I thought that's what she had wanted to do, but I was wrong. Anyway, uh, they beat off these... Um, black liners, and then uh, after healing, I think one of these guys has medical. Um, I think Tony has medical. Briefly healed uh, as best they could, uh, best he could carry. They run. Um, they're in vac suits now as well. Um, they run uh, towards the landing pad, and uh, Tony has hacking, so he kind of he spoofs or he disables both airlock, the inner and outer airlock, so now the uh, Ravage cannot get in without trying to blast the airlock doors. They can't really do that with their weapons they have. They also notice that the, that the crew of the Ravage are different than the crew of the Reeve. The crew of the Ravage are undead. They're like undead pirates. They're like pirate skeletons or something. Um, not just mindless, so they can think and act or whatever, and they try to shoot up the airlock, but they don't. Uh, meanwhile, they and they call back Winslow to see what's going on. Winslow kind of goes, oh, oh, can't really respond. So they, they're like, uh oh, something, she's in trouble. So they kind of run back and do really well on their run rolls. You can do this thing called run and you can add up to double your pace. And they just book it. Um, not worried about the pirates because they're stuck. Um, right now they can't really get in. There's no other way in as everyone is locked down the station. Um, it's not like they stealthily flew their vehicle down. So they get back and they run and uh, they see some other, some of the human pirates who've been kind of hanging around the station for the last eight hours and hiding. And they're trying to break out Lilith. Or maybe that was a plan all along. So, um, they kind of, so Tony kind of sneaks up because he kind of runs a little faster. He sneak gets a good sneak roll or stealth roll, and he uh, takes out uh, one of the guys. So he's got like an equivalent of an M16. Oh, yeah, he had gotten his weapon out of the locker as they were sort of deputies uh, for the station. So he got his M16, took out one guy. Um, by the time Carrie comes up, he takes out an up the other guy who's kind of guarding the door. Carrie runs to the door and sees Lilith having as dragging an unconscious. Um, Kate Winslow uh, towards the towards the towards uh, the table, and the other pirate that's in there has like a big hatchet. So presumably they're gonna cut off her hand. And uh, Friedman is like saying, uh, "I think they want to capture me." Anyway, um, so the, a fight ensues between Lilith and Carrie, and uh, uh, Carrie rolls some good, timely uh, counters to the psychic attacks that Lilith does against her, like throws her against the wall. But um, Amy Amy has rolls well enough to have Carrie resist too much damage from the, the attack, tries to like charm Amy's character. Amy resists. Um, 
it was pretty cool. It was a good fight. Amy kind of shoots and takes out uh, this fallen angel. And then as Tony comes in and shoots the other pirate, and they save the day. So I was, it was pretty cool. It was a very exciting little adventure. Uh, it was kind of interesting. They She goes up to, um, to kind of cap the big bad, but uh, then asks, Carrie asks, why shouldn't I take out this, this uh this bad person or why should i take lilith out right here i can end this thing this you know psyker fallen angel criminal but then friedman says well there's a fifty thousand dollar bounty for this that person alive that you guys looks like you captured him and uh when they bring winslow to she's she, she agrees and is willing to sign the paperwork for that so they you know they have these dead the present the other pirates dead or alive they get the the bounty for but now they get a bounty for Lilith um the ship comes in to capture her they've made up uh, a tough tough enemy who seems to have a lot of resources but they've also uh gotten a lot of money some eighty thousand dollars in bounty minus the 360 to to buy off the debt for Fried, Friedman Nigel Friedman who turns out is like a scientist slash archaeologist. Um, and they're going to add him to their crew because they are saying, well, by right, we're going to claim salvage of the Reeve. And yeah, it has this weird thing in the hold, but we'll fix that. Uh, and now they're just going to look for a pilot. So it was really fun. Um, little, It's interesting that when you don't play a game for so long, you kind of lose some of the subtleties and nuances like we had to look up for the most part it went pretty fast but we had to look up like how do you disarm and things like that um but uh, it was really fun i hope we get to do it again and we may kind of do this like lost colony little jam with uh amy's character carrie martinez and her sidekick tony north like i said they're looking for a pilot So the other solo game I want to talk about is a game of Desanction that I played with Arfed, Darren Green, who you might know around the Discord verse. And I we decided to play this game called Desanction, which is conspiracy during the Elizabethan period. And what the Desanction is, is your character has been exempted from execution for practicing witchcraft or having knowledge of other esoterica because John Dee convinced Elizabeth to create a law or proclaim a law that in service of the realm, magic was okay or the use of magic was okay. And it's a very simple system. It seems, I don't know if it's quite black hack-ish. There's three stats. You have various skills. The, it has a dice chain from D4 to D12 that you roll and you succeed on everything but a one or a two. So it is kind of a more narrative game where you where the player tells the GM what they propose to do. And then we decide if a skill applies or a talent applies and we roll 
the particular stat dice for that falls under that purview. It's pretty simple. Character generation. The first one took about, I would say, 15 minutes because we had to look things up and it's the first time we were looking at this. There are a lot of cool random tables. So it's very much, the only decision you make is how many points you're putting into one of the three stats. And the stats are physical, intellect, and your magic ability, spiritual, I think it was called. So there are two characters that were created. The first character, which again is the main, was is kind of Darren's character, and that's Alexander Sparrow. And then we created a sidekick or a handler, a watcher, um, who is also in trouble and could be executed at a whim of the Queen or John D. And that is Alan Shevington. And uh, yeah, it's really neat to kind of roll their backgrounds. It seems that Alex um, was a gardener and he kind of fell afoul of a group who used the Voronich uh, manuscript um, and that is a prescribed manuscript from that time that no one has still been able to really translate. But it does have a lot of pictures of flowers and, and herbs. So, um, yeah. And then uh, Alan, he was a part of the City Watch and was became part of the secret society called the Star of Artemis and um, the worship of, quote-unquote, other gods who they see as angels. So, um, yeah, and we open up in the adventure with them as part of the progress or ex, uh, European trip that John D. took about 15, I think it's 1583 to 1585. So it's kind of steeped in history. A cool thing that you can do is you don't really need to know a lot of the background except what it, what it is to be part of the desanction and what you, your role would be in this sort of conspiracy X-Files in the Elizabethan period, right? And um, you can Google all the stuff, like, about these people. So there really was a progress in Europe um, in, during that time period with uh, John Dee and his, his sidekick, Brian Kelly, who was a medium or spiritualist who could con contact angels. And John Dee really abused his friendship with this guy, they took their families on this European trip, and we find ourselves, we open up in Poland, and they're trying to get in the good graces of the king of Poland, who has some power at this time for Elizabeth to kind of get allies, because, you know, she's being pressured by France, by Scotland, and the Mary Queen of Scots, and by her own court. So the more allies, the better. And what happens in the background and the players here is that John D. asked Brian Kelly to do a, uh, a seance and he contacted what the players heard, the angel Uriel, who, who told Brian Kelly to pull out an eyelash, throw it into some vodka, and now it's a compass and this will lead you to the artifact, a spiritual artifact that in theory could impress the king of Poland. So John D. calls... Um, Alex and Alan aside and says, here, find the artifact. <laughs> and that's what they do, because if they don't, well, they'll probably be handed over to the King of Poland as witches and burned alive. So, so they go and they travel and it does, it is interesting. It works 
um, so I put we put most points for Alan in like physical, and we put most points for Alex in like his mental ability. And um, Alex realizes it actually does work like a compass, and they decide to follow it. They travel south for a while, uh, spend overnight in a barn, where they kind of get to know uh, more about each other. Um, Alan kind of tells the story of the watch and how he was framed by a, a, a jealous rival, blah, blah, blah. Alex keeps it close to the cuff about why he's in trouble with, or is uh, beholden to John D. and company. So the next day, uh, they go a little further south and they turn sharply west. And soon they come to this valley overlooking a farm and these various outbuildings they can see that there's like this river kind of that cuts through the farm. The, there's a, it looks like there's rye and barley um, fields and a fallow field. And this is all surrounded by woods in this valley. And they uh, travel down there. As they get closer, they see that there are animals out of their pens, but they don't see any people. And uh, they get to the first, like a dairy barn and it smells awful. They see a cow stick its head up as they go investigate. The cow is, is starving. They help, They actually kind of do a cool thing, I thought, uh, to, they see like the cow was trying to get like a food bin that was out right outside and it must have knocked it down. So they collect all the food and let the cow eat. It eats as quickly as it can, probably to its own detriment, but you know, that's what they don't know better, uh, the party. So they... They open up the barn, this dairy barn. They see their six other dead uh, cows that have starved to death, but are not. But but Alan says this isn't the way. This they sh they should all be skeletons and by now, you know, uh, based on on how starved. Uh, doesn't make sense. And Alan like runs out of there because he's overwhelmed um, by the stench and the scene. Meanwhile, they look around and this mist has kind of rolled out from the woods and is surrounding the whole farm. Um, they continue because now when they look at the compass, it's spinning. So they feel like the artifact must be near and somewhere in this vicinity. They cross the bridge. They notice the water is like oily and slick. And when they try to scoop up water, it's like pulling up like jello. And, but then soon it fills in, you know, it's kind of weird. It's like a gel, almost the water. And there's still like fish moving in it, but very slowly. Oh no, I think there's no fish, no fish and no birds, which was also kind of weird and concerning. Uh, they see, they go to the long house, um, like the main house. And there's two, there's a storage house and a barn of oh, the animals. Like they're all running around. There's chickens and pigs um, and goats. And uh, one of the pigs eyes them as something bigger than a chicken to eat, so it attacks. So we do a little bit of combat. Combat's pretty quick and deadly. Um, they got two strikes on the pig. So it's, it was kind of cool. So Alex kind of does like a matador against the pig while Alan sliced at it. Um, so it, it took uh, a couple of good slices by Alan to take down the pig as Alex was like running around going, ole, ole, as the Spanish would do. Um, so, uh, they take down the pig, all the other animals kind of avoid them and they check out the longhouse. It's empty and quiet. 
Um, there are shutters that are, can be opened from the outside. The door is locked. Um, and then Alex decides to crawl in through the window. It's the first time we have like a fumble. So there's a suggestion in the, in the book of, of the desanctioned book to fail forward. So I let him climb through the window, but he kind of fell over, broke some glass, cut himself, so took a wound, and then um, found himself in like the dining room. He saw an, uh, uh, a fireplace that had that was you know, cold, nothing, no fire in the fireplace. And uh, he, as he stood up, he saw this table set for a meal, but all the food was old and spoiled. And at the head of the table, though, was a man sitting. And the man says, "Welcome." to dinner you're late and that's where we stopped at a really interesting cliffhanger i think darren exclaimed wow i did not see that coming so it seems it's pretty fun little game easy stats it's always a cool thing to play with uh, darren green and i'm glad we got to do some gaming and test out this game one-on-one -on -one, the desanction so i'd heard about the game just another plug um, on a new podcast called Twitter Pigs. Um, it was one of the, there was like a, a panel of I think four people. And this was one of the best games of 2021 in their opinion. So I decided to check it out. I found it on the drive-thru and ordered, ordered it and ordered a few adventures. I decided to do the adventure that is actually um, like an intro adventure in the book. Um, I, there's a few other adventures that are not very, very expensive, um, and it looks like it would be print. If you print it out, it'd be like a like a zine style um, and format, and the adventures would be like a foldy, like a trifold type of style, kind of like um, like mothership or something like that. So really enjoyable and fun. I love that period. It's kind of cool the kind of alternate history that they put together. Um, so we'll see. Will these if we play again? Will these guys find the artifact? Will they survive uh, the wrath or not of John D? Um, Brian Kelly is supposed to be a sympathetic uh, character and almost a foil to John D. So we'll see if that develops as well. All right. I think, uh, yeah. As usual, this episode has run long. So I'm going to close. And um, okay, so... I want to say thank you to my players uh, that played with me in the one-on-one -on -one game. Uh, my wife, Amy, and Darren Green, a.k.a. Arfed. Thank you for the, to the callers. So Joe Richter, Jason Connerly, and our new caller, Mannion, a.k.a. Rob from Confessions of a Wee, Timorous Bushi. Check out those podcasts. Joe's Hindsightless. Jason is Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I want to thank all of you for listening. And definitely thank TJ Drennan for the music intro and outro. And I'll talk to you guys again soon.